It's time now for the Anchor Baptist Church broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for an address where you can send all correspondence. And now, for today's message, here's Dr. Barton. As I face the raging sea, the I said, that sounds familiar. Well, this is a companion psalm to what we preached out of last Sunday. And we looked at the thought, uh, how to make a house a home out of 127. And 127 and 128 would be considered to be brothers or companion psalms. And these psalms... Uh, tell us some, some great truths about this whole thing of parenting and the whole thing of family. So last week we talked about how to make a house a home. Today I want to simply, I want to bring it down to maybe a little simpler level, and I want to talk, see if I can share with you how to have a happy home. A happy home. Do you understand that happiness is a commodity rarer than gold? Do you understand that the world spends more money looking for that one object than any other thing? So all preacher, with, with, with cancer raging like it is, the number, one, the number one quest of the human race is bound to be a cure for cancer. No, no, it's not even close. Well, it, it, the, 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 it must be... Uh, environmentally sustainable solutions. That must be the quest of the human race. The number one thing. No, no, we, no, that's not what we spend the most money on. No. More than anything else in the world times probably a hundred, the world spends more money on trying to be happy than any other thing. And if we can't be happy for long, we'll take, it, we'll take the option of being happy for a short time. Because we can't find it long term. And that's why the ABC stores and the liquor stores, the, the, the convenience stores uh, that sell the beer and wine, that's why the, the, the drug dealers will especially do well on Father's Day. Because they'll do extra, extra business on the holiday because they're going to be trying to get that little happiness buzz in celebration of the holiday. But I want you to understand that you will never find happiness ever outside of the bounds of God's Word. There's no such thing. It is such an elusive thing that it cannot and will not. It, you see... God controls the human heart, and God controls the, the measures of space and time and all the variables thereof, and only God can provide happiness to the human heart. And outside of God's intervention, we will never be able to have a happy home. And so this morning, let's see if we can look at that, that idea, how to have a happy home out of Psalm 128. Let's bow our heads. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we pray and ask that you would, uh, Lord, sanctify your word in our hearing. Lord, truly, that it will not be what I have to say, but the word of God may come alive. Lord, may some folks get the realization that we're not trying to do right and live right because the preacher's going to jump on us if we don't. But Lord, the key to happiness in marriage in child rearing, the key to happiness in living a single life, the key to happiness in living a life in any aspect is living a life in accordance with your word. Lord, may that truth sink in today, and may we expound it in accordance to your word in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you very much, and you may be seated. The Bible says, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. 
The word blessed here is a very common word, and it's used throughout the Psalms and throughout the Scripture. But the word blessed that we have here, if I can say it this way, it's in the Hebrew there were three tenses. There was singular, which was one. There was dual, which was two. But there was plural, which was three or more. Now in English we leave out that middle one. We have single or, or plural. Plural in English means two or more. But in Hebrew there was plural meant three or more. Well the word blessed is a plural word. And so if you were to, to write it or if you were to render it, it would be blessings, plural, more than one, a continuation of the thought or a continuation of the idea. In, in the Hebrew, the way you would express that is you would repeat it. Remember when the angels cried, holy, holy, holy? Well, the way they do, well, the reason they do that is because Rather than E-R and E-S-T on the end of the words, they would repeat a word to get the same effect. So holy meant holy one time, meant this, that, holy. Holier, holy, holy the second time in repetition meant holier. And then if you said it three times, it meant holiest. Well, this word carries that idea of blessed est. There ain't no such word. But that's what it means. That's the idea behind it. It's more than just happy. It's more than just happy, happy. The Bible says happy, happy, happy is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. So preacher, you don't say that. Yeah, it does. It's just encoded in that word blessed because it is a plural word. But the Lord lays down some conditions in order for us to have that happiness. Now, I want you to think about what the Scripture says. Happy is everyone, look at this phrase, that feareth the Lord. That feareth the Lord. Now, I know some people who have a fear of God. And what I mean by that, they're scared to death of Him. But that alone won't cut it. Because I know people that are afraid of him and yet don't serve him. They're scared to death of the man upstairs and yet they don't pray and they don't know him. Now, I'm talking about a different kind of fear. I'm talking about a reverential fear. I'm talking about a fear that causes you both to love and respect. The kind of fear you're supposed to have for your dad. Kids are supposed to fear their dad. They're supposed to have a loving respect because they love him, but they respect him. They won't walk over him. They respect him enough, but they fear him. Does that make sense? A, a, a reverential respect and fear. That's what the Scripture's talking about, and we've got to have that. Can I say this? If you truly fear the Lord, you won't fear anybody else. Young people, if you have a fear of the Lord, what the Scripture says is the fear of the Lord, you won't fear your peers. It won't matter that they tell you that you're not with it, and whatever the common lingo language is, it's changed over the years so many times, I don't know what this week it is. Huh? If they look at you and say, you're not swag. Huh? Some of you don't know what that is. I don't either. I heard it at ISC. It may be good, maybe bad. I don't know. I may just cuss. For all I know, I may just cuss in the pulpit. I don't know. I just heard him say there's a car went by and a fellow said, Son, that's swag. I thought it was swagging in the hind end, so I looked. I didn't know what was wrong with it. I thought maybe the air shocks broke or something. But it wasn't, it wasn't swagged. It was just a good-looking car, and they said, son. They didn't, they didn't but, they, but they said that way, they, with a long, son. And they did their hand kind of like this. That's swag. Kind of flip that hand like Sammy Allen does. Flag, swag. Son, that's swag. And so I got to ask him, kids, I said, what does swag mean? And I asked a black boy what swag meant. He said, swag meant you dress nice. 
I said, okay, I, I go with that. And then I asked a white kid, I said, what does swag mean? He said, well, swag means that you carry yourself, your swag. I said, okay. I asked a Hispanic kid, I said, and I deliberately chose him, I said, what does swag mean? And the, and the, the Spanish kid said, it means expensive. And then I asked a kid from South Africa, I said, what does swag mean? He says, I have no idea. So whatever it is, it's something we caught in America. I don't know what it is. And if what I found is, regardless of your race or background, the kids are not sure what it is either. They just know when you ain't got it, if you ain't swag. Can I say that when you put God in the center, then there, I mean, nobody else can be there. When, when we fear the Lord with the right reverential fear, my friend, we'll fear God more than we feel our, fear our peers. We will fear God more than we fear our friends. We will fear God more than we fear our family. Oftentimes, it's our family that drags us down and pulls us down. And it's your family that tells you you're in church too much. And it's your family that tells you that you're raising the kids like a fanatic. And it's your family that says, I, I just think that bunch may be a cult. Am I right? Anybody hitting any, hitting any toes? Well, the truth of the matter is, anybody that would dare put God in the center of their universe risk being talked about like that and worse because it's such an unusual thing. And when you talk about being happy, people think about marriage, they think about money, they think about all sorts of things. One of the last things they think about, if you were to try to take a survey and say, what makes people happy? One of the very last things that people would come up with, would say, they would say is, a fear of God. The fear of God will make you happy. Ain't nobody going to tell you that. But it's in God's Word. Here it is, black and white, front line, not hidden down in the verse. It's the opening thing. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. Happy, happy, happy is the man that feareth the Lord. Can, can I see if I can show what I'm talking about? In all of creation, God is very organized, and everything has a center. And if we want to go to the, to, the, to the vast creation of the universe, it, is, it has a center. And it is, it is very much in order. If you took a telescope and began to explore the solar system, our solar system consists of one sun, and the sun is the center of the solar system. Kids, you learned this in elementary, uh, uh, elementary well, I guess it would be science. You learned that the sun is the center. And then you learned the planets. Do you have to quote the planets in school today? Do you know the planets in order? Can anybody quote the planets? You used to make us do. Huh? You may call on somebody, see if we can quote the planets. Huh? I got a, I got a little little acronym. How do you remember the How do you remember the planets? Mark's very extravagant mother just sent us ninety parakeets. That's the little phrase. How do you remember what the planets are? And there are nine planets. But did you know that surrounding or, or, or in orbit of those nine planets are a total of 32 moons? We ain't got but one. But scattered around our galaxy, there's 31 other moons in rotation around one of those other eight planets. By the way, the word planet, we think about the, the idea of planet as being something that's solid and stationary, but that's not, what it, that's not where it come from. The Greeks called them planets, and the word planet meant that it, it was stray. That it, the word planet means wanderer. 
And the Greeks thought that the planets just wandered around. I think it was this, two weeks ago, one, I don't know, that, that Venus crossed the sun and that they took, they took some photos of Venus coming across the face of the sun. We won't see that again in our lifetime. And I don't know if they've ever seen it before or not because how did you have the stuff to see it with? You know, they, they filmed it and we saw it because you couldn't look at it with your bare eye, uh, certainly. But, the, but we saw Venus cross the sun. But the Greeks thought that the planets were just scattered here yonder about and that they were just kind of wandering. But the truth of the matter is those planets are on a very precise and precision orbit. If not, they'd run into one another. But they're revolving around the sun, and each of those planets makes its revolution, and each of those moons makes its revolution around its planet. And they never run into one another. It's pretty amazing. Well, what's even more amazing is that those planets are not necessarily in a circular orbit. As a matter of fact, Pluto is in a hugely elliptical orbit. What do you mean, preacher? Well, it will come as far as 2.7 billion miles to the sun at its closest point. And then when it goes by the sun, it will keep going on an, on an elliptical journey as far away as 4.6 billion miles from the sun at its furthest reach. Then if it starts back toward it, as it comes by it, it'll be as close as 2.7 billion. But that's as close as Pluto ever gets to the sun. So it, it's not a circular orbit. It's an elliptical orbit. It's, a, it's a, an elongated orbit. And yet we never have any problem with the planets running into one another. Anybody remember back in the 80s when they said the alignment of the planets and the whole thing is going to go kabloop because what year was that? 81? The alignment of the planets, the late great planet Earth and all that other stuff that we were going to go, I mean, because it's all going to line up and we were going to be in trouble. Well, you know what didn't happen? What they said. Because God's got them on a pattern. God's got them in an orbit. God's got them lined up. But let me tell you something that gets more exciting than that. Among these, the single star at the middle, nine planets scattered all in different orbits and not necessarily the same shape orbit, 32 moons circling those nine planets as a total. Now add to that mix, there are over 100,000 asteroids that are big enough that we've named them and counted them. 100,000 asteroids that are out here circling in amongst the planets. So not only are there planets, but there's 100,000 asteroids. And the asteroids are not just randomly flying around. They have a pattern also. They have all established a pattern. And some of these asteroids are, are quite large. They're smaller than moons, but they're still big chunks of whatever they are iron ore or whatever, whatever they end up being. But now let's add one more thing. There's this little thing called comets. And comets are these little smaller chunks. So there's 100,000 asteroids in here amongst us in our galaxy. Now add to the mix about 100 billion comets. And they're all zooming back and forth. And they also are in an orbit. And they're all in different trajectories and different orbits. And it's very rare if one ever enters the Earth's atmosphere. You can go out any given night and watch one come across. Almost every night you'll see, you'll see a, a comet come through. You'll see uh, a, an asteroid come by. You'll see something happen. And the times they have impacted the Earth, I mean, they set up museums and charge you to go see where they hit. But it's been so rare you've got to travel halfway across America to get to see one. It's been that rare. So all that's taking place while you and I are sitting here. But God has a center. The center of the solar system is the sun. You say, well, that's, that's, that's our world. That's it. Well, not quite. Understand that our galaxy is one of many, many galaxies. As a matter of fact, in, in our group, or our, our galaxy that's called the Milky Way. That's what, what's what we call it. 
and I don't know how we determined all this, but within our galaxy, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of about 7,000 stars that the naked eye can pick up from all over the planet. From somewhere, there's about 7,000 stars that you can go out and look at at night. But the ones you don't see, and this is just within the Milky Way, there are probably another 100 billion stars like our own that, that populate the Milky Way. And we have no idea how many planets, moons, comets, and asteroids are in those orbits. And if you want to really start thinking about it, if you categorize stars based on their brightness, we have a Category 5 star that we orbit. It's fifth. There are four categories of stars brighter than ours. If you were standing outside the Milky Way looking down at our galaxy, you wouldn't even notice our sun. It is so small. It's so tiny. It's just a little pale yellow light comparison to some of the other big stars. And the nearest star to our stars, 30,000 light years. That's the closest one out. And all of this stuff, all of our, our, our solar system is a part of these other solar systems, over 100,000, 100, excuse me, 100 billion solar systems that are all revolving around a central hub in the middle of the Milky Way. And we're not even on the outside skirts, and it takes us 200 million years for us to revolve around and get back to where we were. Somebody said, Preacher, what's that got to do with Father's Day? Well, I'm glad you asked. God creates everything with a center, and God creates everything with a central theme and a central plan. Now, I can't, but if we took our telescope, traded it for a microscope, we could go down and look at the, at the molecular world and look at the world of the atom. In an atom, there are millions and billions of electrons that move at incredible speeds, so much so they move so fast that uh, these little electrons may make a billion trips around their nucleus in a millionth of a second, we can't even think in terms like that. If I was to take and line up a million hydrogen atoms, one million hydrogen atoms are equal about the thickness of that paper right there. You, can, you could stack a million, not crossways, across the thickness. You could stack a million hydrogen atoms across the top edge of that page. So preacher, I don't understand that. I don't either. But you examine every one of those atoms, it has a pattern. It has a nucleus, it has electrons, it has protons, neutrons. I mean, it's, there's a pattern. And everything's moving, and we learned that in science too, and everything's moving at this incredible speeds, and that's what causes everything that is. All matter is made up of these things. And the bottom line is, that whether it's the infinitely large or the infinitely small, God created it all. He's at the center of it all. And the same thing is true in his word. When he created the human race, God plans for him to be the center. And by the way, man is his only creation that's not in the proper orbit. Everything God has ever created is orbiting just exactly like he started it for doing. Except for one thing, and that's the human race. God created the human race to orbit around him and around his word. And if we don't, then this verse is not valid. The Bible says, happy is the man who, what? Happy is the man, blessed is the man, blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. Now, look at this next thought. Happy is everyone that feareth the Lord, look at the colon, that walketh in his ways. There has to be a pop, proper focus, a proper center in our lives for us to be happy. And that center is none other than the Lord. 
But let's go just a little further. The Bible says, and that walketh in his ways. There must also be a proper circumference. Now, what's the circumference? Circumference is the outer bounds, the outside, the rim, the circumference of something, how big around it is. If we were going to measure the circumference of a tree, we'd get a tape measure, stretch it around it. Go over to Joyce Kilmer Forest, and you'd find a, a poplar tree over there that's like 26 feet around the base of it. Some old virgin timber. There's some, there's some hemlocks that are 20 feet around. Big trees. This whole country looked like that at one time. And it's, that's still the old growth still standing over there. So if life is going, if we're going to have happiness, we're going to have to have some boundaries. And God must be at the center of it. And so the center of it is the Lord. And can I say that the circumference of our life must be the law. The law of God is the outer, out of bounds. Have you ever played a game? You ever played something and, and you were playing something? You didn't have a marked court and, and you're playing and, and when you were kids and they said, well, where's out of bounds? Well, that bush is out of bounds. And then, well, where's out of bounds over here? Well, that, this rock is out of bounds. And then... You'd hit the ball over and it would go past that in their favor. They'd go, no, that's not out of bounds. Yes, it is. You said it was. No, I didn't mean that bush. I meant the bush behind it. Well, it went past us a rock and you said, that. oh, that rock is out of bounds. But now that bush ain't out of bounds. It's that other bush. And it was not uncommon to change the bounds seven or eight times during the game depending on who was behind and who was winning. You, ever, you never played nothing like that? That's all we ever played. And we always were moving to bounds. Well, you know, there's a bunch of kids in pulpits today still doing the same thing. Ain't one problem. God give us the instruction manual. And ain't no excuse for that. Not knowing where out of bounds is. Ain't no excuse for encroaching them on the boundary line. Because God's word already is plain. It's written in plain English that everybody can understand. And there is absolutely no excuse for us to get out of bounds. And then everybody says, well, that ain't out of bounds. I ain't out of bounds. I'm all right. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Really? Based upon what? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Well, who died and left you God? And I can tell you. So I said, well, I play by my own rules. You'll never be happy. I see people all the time playing by their own rules. Some of the most miserable people I've ever met. I went to a death this week. I can't give you a lot of information. But I found a young mother of three dead in the floor. Of all my arrival. Put the leads on her and it's flatline. One of the most helpless, hopeless calls. And I dug and dug, and I couldn't find no hope. And I called, and I, I, never, I never could find anybody that even act like they remotely knew what the bounds were. I told our young people in Sunday school, I teach the young people's class, the teens, the young adults. And sometimes we get pretty plain, some stuff we talk about. If it comes up, we shoot it. And I said, I may, I may get accused of making too, being too plain and, and dealing with some of these things, but I'm going to tell you something. I've given up my lasting without a fight. I've given up my lasting without a struggle. For as long as I've got an audience, I'm going to tell it. And I'm going to tell you the dirty side. I'm going to show you the nasty side. Somebody said, See, keep a shiny side up. No, sometimes we need to take the shiny side and flip her over, friend, and show them what the nasty bottom looks like. Because that's where they're going to end up. The shiny side of the beer commercial is the girls and all the things that go with it and the party and the good time. But the part they don't show you is when there's blood in the road and beer cans in the ditch and the car's upside down and people are wailing and the stench of booze all over the place 
and there's blood and all the things with it and there's carnage and there's weeping and I could go on and on and on. And we see it over and over and over and nobody seems to pay attention to the truth. Hey, it's not, kids, hey, it's not that we don't want you to have a good time. It ain't the point. It's that the other side is true. We want you to be happy beyond the drugs, beyond the dope, beyond the drink. We want you to be happy, blessed, happy, 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 truly happy. To have something, hey, to have something when you're alone by yourself in the dark. With nothing in your system. Because you're going to be happy. Walketh in his ways. Walketh in his ways. There's, there's a number of things that the scripture here addresses concerning walking in his ways. I, I brought my I brought my iPad this morning. And I, I've preached off of it some, but I'm still not I'm still not good enough at it to where I trust it, so I, I print up I do a printed backup. So I got my message on here and I got it in the, still in print too. But something that I'm fascinated with the iPad is the new iPad 3 is the camera. Miss Perry, this thing, this little old black thing I got right here has an eight megapixel camera in it. And it will, it will take HD footage. It'll take 1080p video. And I'm telling you, it's HD. I mean, it's, it's almost 3D. The pictures off of it are just fascinating. It's one of the best cameras I've ever seen in my life. And the amazing part of it is when I, when I hold it up and put it like this, there is a box jumps up on my screen. I wish you could see it. Right now, there's a green box on my wife's face. And if I move in a little bit more, it has also put a box on uh, the hearts. And it's trying to focus in on their faces. And it's asking me, hey, there's, there's one on, yeah, there's, there's one on uh, Will and one on Miss Hart. And in other words, that's what it's going to focus on. That's what it's going to zoom on. It's got some kind of beam that's going out, and it's picking that up, and it's measuring the distance. And right now, it's got her face zoomed in. And I can go over here, and it'll do the same thing. And if I want to zoom in on somebody, all i got to do is just pull it up. Now I've got three boxes, three faces. If I get it centered... All you got to do with this thing is just center the person you want to take a picture of. You take a picture of them. The second thing is, is you have to zoom it in and out and move it to so you don't get the trash can. You've got to change the circumference so that you don't get something in the picture that you don't want. If I want to take a picture of this, this, this nice setup here, it's just zoomed in on the shoes. There's a box that's going in. Actually, it's, it's going in on the scripture, which is a good thing. We'll take that picture. You see, what I did was I didn't want the steps, so I moved in to where all you can see is the, is the, the colors and, the, and, I, and, I, and I got my circumference. I got my center right, then I got my circumference right. And I zoomed it in and zoomed it out to get it where I could do what I wanted to do. Zoomed in on Miss Hyde. I took this crowd here. Let's see who it's going to zoom on. Ah, uh, it's trying to zoom on three or four here. All right. And all I got to do is point and click. Can I say I don't know how a camera works? Can I tell you that? Can I tell you right straight up that I have no idea how this works? But I trust it to work. And so far, it's never let me down. It takes good pictures. Good pictures. All I got to do is get my circumference right. And what it is right now, I'm too close and I can't get Brother Bryson. And I would never take a picture without taking a picture of Brother Bryson. And I got too much of the, of the windows. And so the light is too bright behind it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pulling it back. But I'm so far back now, it don't know what I want the center to be. 
and the center is that pew right there. There's an empty seat that it's trying to focus in on. So let me step across here. Y'all don't mind me taking a few pictures, do you? Uh, there we go. Got it just about right. I don't know how that works. I just know it works. You get that focus right, that center object, and then you zoom her in and out to where you don't have any trash in the picture. You don't have anything, you know, you're not, you know, you don't have an aisle in the picture. You don't have, uh, you know, something that you don't want in the picture. You get it focused in and out, and then you get the circumference right on it. It'd give you a good picture. It'd give you a real good picture. It's amazing what good pictures it gives. And when you, you can just, you can just, Scroll them and, I mean, considering what we had to take pictures of, awful good pictures. <laughs> I wished I had it to where I could throw it up on the screen where y'all could see how good it is. I mean, good pictures. Think about it. We focus in on something. And I don't, I don't want to seem sacrilegious when I say this. But if we were to take and everything, our whole life become a picture, we're going to take a picture. And how does this picture look in comparison to the Scripture? Can you see the Lord Jesus coming up the road, climbs the hill, the Mount of Olives, and he sits down. And the disciple sits around him. And he reaches and gets his Marlboro out of it, Marlboro, pack of Marlboros out from under his tunic, passes them out, and each one of the disciples light one, and they lay around and blow smoke and said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When Jesus breathed on them after the resurrection, he did not blow smoke in their face. Does that fit? No, it don't fit. That's irreverent. How does it fit in your life then? Can you see the Lord Jesus when the when the, when the crowd is gathered around and they're wanting to condemn the woman, and he says, just a minute, I'm going to get my skull out and put my mouth in my skull. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Say, preacher, that's wicked. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. But I'll tell you something else. There's a crowd that believe Jesus got drunk. There's a crowd that believed Jesus and the disciples attended drunk parties and Jesus was the cause of it. Jesus turned water into wine. They all got drunk drinking Jesus' wine. That's as crazy as a, as a bed bug. That is as contrary to God's word. That would make Jesus a drunk and his disciples a bunch of drunks. Didn't happen that way, friend. Well, his Bible says he made wine. He made grape juice. If he just made it, it didn't have time to ferment. I mean, come on. But they had process. They knew how to cook juice. Can I say this? I've had people argue, miss, argue, and argue with me. And I will say this. If they knew how to embalm a body that would last 4,000 years, do you not reckon that they could keep grape juice for two or three weeks? We've got whole bodies that are embalmed that are in good condition 4,000 years old. Now, if they could do that, you telling me, number one, they had an ever-producing crop. The grapes never stopped flowing. There was no season. In the valley there of the grapes, in the valley of Eskel, there was no season. The grapes are ever-bearing. They push the new ones off the old ones, push the new ones off. No need that for a minute. But they also knew something about cooking it. 
They knew how to cook other things, and they knew how to cook juice. You cook juice, it will sour once you cook it and get it, boil it and get the, get the, get the natural uh, bacteria out of it that causes fermentation. It will sour. If you open a jar of grape juice you bought at the store and you set it out on the counter, it won't turn to wine. It'll sour. It'll turn to vinegar, but it won't turn to wine because it's been heated. It's called pasteurization. And they knew that. There's archaeological evidence to prove what I'm talking about. Can I, can I see if I can bring all of this where I'm going with it? When you take your life and put it into focus, when the Lord Jesus becomes the center, and then when you take and carefully zoom in and out and get things out of your life and get the restrictions that match the Word of God, are you listening to me? You zoom in and out. I mean, you zoom in and out with your camera, your eye, until you get it within the bounds of God's word. Can I say just as surely as living within the bounds of God's word produces happiness? Can I guarantee you that living outside the bounds of God's word produces misery? And you have God's word on it. And there is no substitute. Nothing. Zero. I was in a funeral. We come out of the funeral and there's a boy sitting there. Look like he's under conviction. That's what I thought. <coughs> and I spoke to him. I knelt down and I spoke to him. I said, son, if God's speaking to you, you need to do business with God. I said, are you saved? He said, well, you wouldn't think it I am. Not according to what you believe. You'd say no. I said, friend, it don't matter what I believe. God says there's two things, heaven and hell. It's either Jesus or hell. And that's the two options. He said, no, there's a third way. I said, that's a lie. And whoever told you that lied to you. And he got fighting mad. So much so that I tried to go back to him and he ran out the door. This is just recent. He ran out the door. Wanted nothing to do with what I had to say. I know how to tell you this. You got outside this book, you're on your own. And the best, the meekest man Moses got outside the book and look what happened. Cost him Canaan. The strongest man ever lived got outside the book and what happened? Cost him his eyes, cost him his life. The man after God's own heart got outside the book and what happened? Thou art the man, thou shalt restore full, full. The sword shall not depart from thine house. David paid and paid and paid and paid and paid. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. He knew better. God used him as a penman to write part of the inspired scripture. He knew better. He had had the Holy Ghost of God get a hold of his hand and get a hold of the pen and, and use his hand to actually write the Holy Writ of God. Only to turn around and go right outside of it. Only to turn around and forsake it and lean to his own understanding because he was smarter than God was. He was the wisest man ever lived. He was so smart, he was smarter than God, or so he thought. But at the end of his life, he looked back and said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He had all the women that could possibly, I mean, he had almost a thousand women and could have had any other ones he wanted, but he had almost a thousand that he had pledged himself to. He had all the money. The riches of Solomon are still, still writing books about the riches of Solomon. He had fame that he was the most famous man on earth. He wrote more songs, built more buildings. He was an architect. He was a gardener. He, he was a songwriter. He was a musician. You name it. He did it. He collected exotic animals. There was nothing that he didn't do. If he thought about it, he did it. But he didn't do it a little bit. He did it to extreme and to ex ex excess. To excess. And he looked back and said, Nah, that didn't make me happy. Don't make me happy. Biggest army, that don't make me happy. 
Biggest harem, that don't make me happy. Biggest house, don't make me happy. Most exotic gardens and animals and zoos, that don't make me happy. Songs and sonnets and, and instruments and orchestras, that don't make me happy. And his take on life was, you can't be happy. When he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, his conclusion was, you can't be happy. You can't find happiness in this world. That was his conclusion. But sadly, he believed, it sounded like he believed you couldn't find it in this life. But I got news for you. You can't find it in the world, that's true. But you can find it in this life. But can I stress something with you that will go further than that? As unhappy as you are in this life, imagine multiplying that by a thousand and spending an unhappy eternity. How does that appeal to you? You die outside of God's grace. This is the best you ever had. You'll inhale, you'll long for the terrible days that you loathed on earth. You'll long for in hell. Best day you've ever had now because it's going to get worse. But child of God, if you're saved, can I tell you that the worst day down here, the worst day you've ever had, hey, let me say it the other way, the best day you've ever had on earth does not even compare to the worst day you'll have in heaven because there ain't no worst day. They're all good days. They're all the best days. You study the scripture and the Bible teaches that the people in heaven are hilariously happy. Uncontrollably happy. I mean, they're not up there just giggling. They're up there shouting. They're so happy. They're shouting. And it's not because they got to, it's because they want to. They, they, they have to have a glorified body because they're going to shout for a million years. That's how excited they are. That's how, that's how happy they are. If you don't get anything else today, can you, will you get this? When you take and the Lord becomes the focus and you get everything else out of the picture... The circumference is, is the bounds of God's Word. When you zoom in and God's Word becomes the center of your attention and you get everything else out of the picture, God guarantees you happiness. And I want to ask you this. When's the last time you picked up a product and on it, it said, guaranteed to make you happy for life. iPad don't come with such a guarantee. iPhone don't neither. You'll not find that guarantee on the bottom of Budweiser can. No, you find it on a bottle of Jim Bean. Ask your drug dealer. Now, you promise, you guarantee me this is going to make me happy. Oh, yeah, this will make you happy for life. Oh, no, it won't be for life. You'll just be happy for a few minutes, and then you'll have to come see me again a few days. That's how I make my living. Oh, you'll be happy, but it'll wear off. No, I want to buy something from you that'll make me happy for eternity. Well, there ain't no such thing. That's what he would tell you. But he lied to you because there is something. Here it is. This book, Living as Christ as the Sinner, and this book is the bounds. If you live your life within those bounds, the Bible guarantees happiness. That elusive tropical plant that only grows in the fertile soil of a heart that's right with God and will quickly wilt and die if transplanted anywhere else. That tropical flower of happiness It only grows in a heart that's righteous 
and right with God. You don't have to have red soil or alkaline soil or acidic soil or black soil. You have to have righteous soil for the exotic flower of happiness to bloom. You can have it. Last night I visited a dear lady in our church. She can't eat. She's dehydrated. And if anybody's got anything to complain about, she does. You know what her testimony was in front of her children as we started to leave the room? She said, we have had a ball. She said, my life has been nothing but just, she said, happiness. She said, I live one of the happiest lives of anybody you know. And she said, God don't owe me a thing. And I'm ready. They live their life according to this book. And she's not sitting there pouring out her regrets and how she wished she had done this and wished she had done that and wished she had done the other. No, no, she's testifying in front of the nurses, in front of the family, to strangers and friends alike. She's testifying, hey, I've lived a good one. I'm happy. You're looking at a happy person that's gonna die happy, she said. There are not too many people I've ever seen say that. Matter of fact, right off, I don't know, I don't ever know that I ever remember anybody saying that from their bed of affliction. She wasn't putting on. She meant every word of it. And that prompted what I had to say this morning. I'm telling you, you can have a happy home. Happy is everyone that feareth the Lord that walketh in his ways. Let's bow our heads this morning. The anchor holds Though the ship is battered The anchor holds You've been listening to the Anchor Baptist Church radio broadcast with Dr. Randy Barton, pastor of the Anchor Baptist Church. You can address all correspondence to 3232 Hendersonville Highway, Pisgah Forest, North Carolina, 28768. Join us again next time for another message. Yeah.